0: hey what's up everybody and welcome back to that triathlon show the podcast presented by scientific i'm your host michael and this episode is A number 123 before we get into today's question big thanks to our sponsors first we have zen8 that you can find on zen8 swimtrainer.com They make an indoor swim trainer with an inflatable swim bench that creates an element of instability that forces you to really activate your core and you're lying in your normal swimming position on that bench. The height of the bench is designed such that you will be forced into a high elbow position as well during your swim stroke so that you can work on technique as well as working on power and stamina. They've also created great coaching resources with example workouts and coaching tips on their website and social media channels. Check out the Senate Swim Trainer on slash tts and get twenty percent off your order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Details matter when it comes to performance, and Roka knows this, and this has led to some of their best innovations in a number of different product categories. For example, we have the arms up technology in the wetsuits and the tri-suits that uh, lead to maximized mobility throughout your swim leg of your, your triathlon. Another example is the angled lenses in the R1 goggles that uh, make you not have to lift your head as much when sighting. And we have uh, geko anti-slip technology in their sunglasses and eyeglasses is another example. These glasses just won't fall off your face no matter how hard you try. You can get 20% off your Roka order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now let's get into today's question, which is from Evan, who writes, Hi, I wanted to send a suggestion for the Q&A episodes. Maybe you could do a deep dive into FatMax training that I first heard about from the great podcast you did with Dr. Inigo San Milan. However, I thought more info could be more info could be given based on how you might find your fat max swim, bike, and run paces, but also then how much should you do as a percentage of your weekly training, and how much you design these sessions to fit in a training week. Please let me know what you think. Thanks, Evan. All right, Evan. Thank you for your question. It is uh, a very interesting topic, so happy to dig into it. I will tackle the question maybe slightly differently i will first dig into it from the fundamentals of fat oxidation and fat max perspective as we really really need to establish what is known and what is not known about it before i can answer things like how to find the right intensity to train at and and how much to train at that intensity and and so on so we'll circle back to some of your questions at the very end of the episode but a lot of this will be a just a general deep dive really into maximum fat oxidation rates and fat max with, before we do that though some background for listeners that have not heard the interview with Inigo San Milan that was episode number 262 and I'll put a link in the episode description Inigo San Milan is a coach and academic and uh, physiologist And he is uh, the head of performance at uh, UAE Team Emirates and also the personal coach of several riders of the team, including uh, Tadej Pogacar, who won Tour de France in 2020. So in the interview I did with him, he talks about doing a lot of zone 2 training and about generally following an 80-20 principle with 80% of the training being zone 2 or even zone 1. He indicates that he does like a lot of his base training to be reasonably close to Fat Max. So, uh, at the, the higher end of zone two in his cohort of world class cyclists where Fat Max might be quite high. And I know that since that win of Tour de France 2020 by Tadei Pogacar and uh, him being coached by Inigo San Milan, a lot of people have become really interested in, in Dr. San Milan's coaching approach. And I loved how open and transparent he was about that approach in the interview, and have huge respect for that. And I do think that Dr. Samuelan himself would be the first to say that there's no point trying to look for a single magic intensity. That this is exactly where to train because train because such intensities don't exist. If that was the case, he would tell his riders to to sit on the trainer all day long and and ride at that specific intensity. But they don't. They go out and ride in the mountains and things like that so intensities vary so I'll just put that out there right away and I guess for me two key points to take away from that interview are one that his principles of training are really great and we can all learn from them and two the exact implementation of the principles never matter anywhere near as much as adhering to the principles in the first place so In other words, what I'm trying to say here is that uh, there's no point trying to get overly in the weeds of what are the exact workouts or the exact intensities that are the best to train at because such things simply don't exist. What is important is the mix of ingredients that form the, uh, the meal itself, so to say, and not the exact ingredients themselves. But we do need to have a training strategy based on sound principles. So from that perspective, the principles laid out by Dr. San Milan are really fantastic. So def- definitely go and have a look and or listen to that, that interview in number episode number 262. Now let's define some terms so that we're all on the same page for the discuss- discussion that will follow. First, the, the first term to define is maximal rate of fat oxidation or MFO. So it is what it says, the maximal rate at which you can oxidize fat. Uh, And usually we're talking about whole body fat oxidation here, uh, at least when you have done this as an, as a laboratory test and you have gotten an idea of what your maximum fat oxidation rate is that typically refers to your whole body fat fat oxidation so not just in a particular muscle group or anything like that and the typical measurement of this is in grams per minute so how many grams of fat can you oxidize per minute of exercise and then we have fat max and fat max is the intensity at which mfo the maximum rate of fat oxidation occurs and Typically, at least in the research, this is measured as a percentage of VO2 max. So for example, your maximum rate of fat oxidation could occur at a fat max of 60% of VO2 max. So when you reach an exercise intensity of 60% of your maximum aerobic capacity, that's where you're burning the most amount of fat in this example. But you could also, of course, convert that to more practical terms like power for cycling or speed for running. But it's important here to keep in mind that MFO, the maximum rate of fat oxidation, and fat max are not the same thing. Fat max is where, at which intensity does MFO occur, and MFO is the fat oxidation itself. As many listeners probably know, the body uses a mixture of fat and carbohydrate for fuel when exercising, and the proportions and absolute amounts of carbohydrate and fats depends on several factors. But exercise intensity is definitely a key one. At low intensities, the proportions of fat will be very high. But eventually, at a certain intensity, which depends on the individual and their fitness level, it will go all the way down to zero. In terms of absolute amounts of fat oxidized, so here we're talking grams per minute, not percentage of total energy, the fat oxidation curve in endurance-trained athletes looks a bit like an inverted U at least this is kind of the idealized version of it in practice it might be a bit different but for argument's sake here let's assume that typically the fat oxidation looks like an inverted U this means that at very low intensities fat oxidation is also low simply because you don't need to produce a lot of energy at all so you don't need to oxidize carbs nor that particular high amount of fats then as intensity gradually goes up, still at fairly low intensities, but, but increasing intensities, you will have an increased demand for energy, and a lot of that is met by increased fat oxidation. So fat oxidation actually keeps going up as intensity goes up to that certain point where it reaches its, its maximum, and after that it starts sloping down again and eventually reaches zero carb oxidation on the other hand is different it is always increasing although it's not linearly increasing so at those very low intensities it is quite flat very often and increases very modestly but then eventually it does this slope will start to get steeper and steeper so we could almost say that it looks a bit like like a hockey stick so being rather flat at very low intensities but very steep at higher intensities So if you imagine this curve, this inverted U of how many grams per minute of fat is oxidized, your MFO, your maximum rate of fat oxidation, is the highest point on that inverted U. And the fat max is where on the x-axis, so at what percentage of VO2 max, or maybe even at what power or pace, does that MFO occur. All right, so those are the main definitions out of the way. Let's get into how FATMAX and MFO can be determined. One seminal piece of research on determining FATMAX and MFO was by Achten and colleagues in 2002, where they found that you can accurately establish FATMAX and MFO with a graded exercise test. They used both step durations of 5 minutes and 3 minutes and found that even something as short as 3 minute steps was enough to get accurate results. They compared the fat oxidation values for these steps in the graded exercise test with having the participants then cycle for longer durations, so 35 plus minute constant load tests, and compared the fat oxidation during those long constant load tests with what it was at each step, each short step in that graded exercise test, and they found no differences. So they validated their own protocol in that way. So this is a test that can be done in a lab easily but do note that a standard graded exercise test is not uh, a valid uh, protocol to really measure fat max and uh, MFO simply because the standard graded exercise test that you do to, to assess your VO2 max and your ventilatory thresholds for example they have stages that are typically one minute or 30 seconds so Although they might give you information in the lab through that test on how much fat you oxidize at each of the stages in that graded XRS test, it, it can't really be used to say for sure that, well, this is your fat max or that is your fat max because the stages are just uh, a bit too short for that to be the case. However, uh, in contrast to that validation of a fat max test protocol, we have a study by Schwindling in 2014 where they compared this kind of graded exercise protocol to to find FATMAX with one-hour constant load tests. And uh, what they did was that they first had the participants establish their FATMAX and their MFO through that graded exercise test. And then they did three separate constant load tests, each of one hour long. And those three constant load tests were at the intensities that corresponded to the step where fat max occurred in the graded exercise test, and the step before, so a lower intensity, and the step after, so a slightly higher intensity. So three different intensities, but all kind of not too far from where fat max had actually occurred. And in those constant load tests, they actually found no significant differences in fat oxidation Uh, despite the intensities being different and in the graded exercise tests they had resulted in different fat oxidation rates of course and one of them was established as being the fat max so from this study at least we can uh, we can learn a couple of things first that fat max testing with a graded exercise test might be used to quickly and non-invasively monitor metabolic adaptations to training but we cannot necessarily say that just because your fat max was let's for argument's sake say 0.6 grams per per minute that that's necessarily going to be the case if you go and do ride for one hour at your fat max intensity Uh, that's not something that we can directly establish based on a short created exercise protocol in other words we can see did you adapt to training based on if your your maximum fat oxidation rate improved or perhaps your fat max improved as a percentage of VO two max or just as an absolute power number, but what that absolute what the what the fat oxidation rate is in the graded exercise test is not necessarily indicative of what fat oxidation your what your fat oxidation rate will be if you go out and ride an Ironman at at that power for example so and also the second thing we can learn is that training right at fat max is a bit of a misnomer there is a relatively wide range of intensities that will get you reasonably close to your quote-unquote to your fat max or your maximal rate of fat oxidation so so we don't again we're not looking for a magic intensity here there there is a range where you are just oxidizing a lot of fat and and that's it and third even though there weren't significant differences in the constant load tests of one hour in the study by schwindling the the fat oxidation rate was actually the highest in the intensity that was a step below fat max from the graded exercise test So from this, we can take a principle that I find applies in many other contexts as well in endurance sports, that shooting a little lower is much better than shooting a little higher. And this is something that I think applies in in other contexts as well. For example, not least where do you say that your threshold is, quote unquote, at least if you base your training off of that threshold, then this is quite critical to not estimate it to be too too high estimating it to be too low is not a not a big problem slightly too low that is but too high can be a big problem and uh, while while nothing really bad will happen necessarily by estimating your fat max too high again we see here that it's if you really want if it's important to you to find the accurate maximal rate of fat oxidation then shooting too low might be the better course of action now what about if you don't have a lab that you can go to to test your mfo and your fat max well another option is to do an inside test which as you may know you can do remotely just with your bike and your power meter indoors or outdoors and this will uh, give you your mfo and your fat max one thing i do want to point out is that the mfo there is your local rate of fat oxidation or maximal fat oxidation so the f- maximum fat oxidation occurring in the working muscles when cycling if you do the bike test so compared to doing things in lab where the lab measures your whole body fat oxidation the numbers might skew a bit lower with the inside test and that's not to say that one or the other is right or wrong but it's important to keep in mind this different difference so that you don't compare apples to oranges and compare directly an inside test result to a lab test result What is great about the information you get through the inside test is that you get an uh, an estimation for your entire fat max curve or your fat oxidation curve, and then you get a fat max zone, which is a range of power numbers at which you will be very, very close to your MFO, give or take a few percent. But now, rather than saying that you have to go and ride at exactly 190 watts to be at your fat max, you can realize that, okay, as long as uh, I'm between... 170 and 210 or so then i'm in the right ballpark so that's a big advantage finally if you don't want to take any tests but just want some rough guidelines benchmarks to follow ballpark estimates for endurance trained athletes i would give you the following rate ranges on the bike to follow so if your vo2 max is lower than 60 or perhaps if you haven't tested that let's say more simplistically that if your FTP is less than four watts per kilogram then you should aim for 55 to 70 percent of FTP as your uh, as your fat max zone whereas if your VO2 max or your FTP is higher than four watts per kilogram then you can aim for 60 to 75 of, percent of FTP as your fat max zone but I think it's important to point out here that when I say FTP I mean a good estimate of your actual maximum lactate steady state so put simply something that you can hold for at least 40 minutes ideally longer if you're a beginner then okay holding for 30 minutes might be sufficient and it can still be your FTP but if you have a couple of years of experience in endurance sports then uh, you really should be able to hold it for 40 minutes or, or otherwise pick a lower FTP number when when basing your guideline calculations off of those those benchmarks that i just gave another option that might be slightly more precise is to compare your heart rate reserve against your vo2 reserve now you probably don't have a portable vo2 analyzer laying around for training uh, or testing for that matter but there is some good research that we can use and this research which i'll link to in the episode description shows pretty good correlations between heart rate reserve and vo2 reserve in other words if we can if we can convert the typical normative reference value of fat max occurring at 60% of VO2 max for endurance trained athletes into what is that percentage of VO2 reserve then we can uh, target the same percentage of heart rate reserve as our training intensity target fat max if you follow what I'm saying. So let's say you have a VO2 max of Uh, 60 and apologies i'm going to be doing some calculations on the fly here so you'll hear me typing so if your vo2 max is 60 then and we assume that your fat max occurs at 60 percent of vo2 max then your fat max occurs at 36 milliliters per minute per kilogram 0.6 times 60. Uh, what is 36 uh, milliliters per minute per kilogram as a percentage of vo2 reserve well the only thing we need to know for your To calculate that is well in addition to your vo2 max which by the way you do need to know for this uh, method to work or you need to have a good estimate of it so if you haven't done a test then you could maybe use a software such as wko to get a good estimate Uh, so in this example we are working off a vo2 max of 60 and what you need to know for vo2 reserve calculation is is that we assume a resting vo2 of 3.5 milliliters per minute per kilogram so then, we're also working off your estimated fat max of 36 milliliters per minute per kilogram. So we take 36 minus your resting VO2 of 3.5, and that is, a diff- that is 32.5. What we now need to do is to take 32.5 divided by the difference between VO2 max and resting VO2. VO2 max minus resting VO2 is 60 minus 3.5, so that is 56.5. So in other words, we take 32.5 divided by 56.5 and find that your fat max, which occurs at 60% of VO2 max, that equates to, uh, in your example, 50 with, and again, this is because we're working off a VO2 max of 60, 57.5% of VO2 reserve now the only thing we need to do is to find your heart rate reserve at the 57.5 or let's round up to 58 percent of heart rate reserve let's work off a maximum heart rate in the sport that we're looking at let's say cycling of 190 and a resting heart rate of 50 so then when we take 190 minus 50 we get 140 we take that 140 times 0.5 8 and that is 81.2, and we add that 81.2 to your resting heart rate of 50, and we get to 131 beats per minute as your target fat max heart rate. And this is all what we have what we need here is we need to know your heart rate max and your VO2 max or a good estimate of VO2 max. We need to know that well, we need to assume a resting VO2 of of 3.5 milliliters per minute per kilogram. And we need to know your resting heart rate. And we need to assume roughly 60% of VO2 max as your fat max intensity, which is on average a good estimate in endurance trained athletes. But I do want to reiterate here, fat max is a pretty broad range. If you use a standard training zone system, whether it's power-based or heart rate-based, and as long as you don't do something like overestimate your training zones or your threshold or whatever, then training anywhere in zone 2 will be pretty okay for fat oxidation. We don't have to make things too complex here. If you want to be slightly more precise, then I might, and gone to my head, I would say that train in the middle of zone 2, and unless you are like a world tour rider, but for, for an amateur, train in the middle of zone 2. Don't go to the high end of zone 2 if you want to train at your fat max. I already gave some references here in terms of, for example, the 60% of VO2 max as an estimate for where fat max often occurs, but let's dig into some more normative values that we know from research. A really good reference paper here is a pretty recent literature review by Maunder and colleagues that I'll link to in the episode description, which is called Contextualizing Maximal Fat Oxidation During Exercise, Determinants and Normative Values. So the authors here reviewed publications that looked into fat oxidations, that fat oxidation in different populations, both athletes and non-athletes, and based on the available literature, they put together these normative values. So you can have a look at table 1 and table 2 in the article, which is open access by the way, uh, and uh, I'll give you one example here. The endurance-trained male group had an average maximum fat oxidation of grams per minute and their fat max was 56% of VO2 max. Unfortunately there was not enough data to make a group for endurance trained women although the paper has groups for recreationally active women and overweight slash obese women. Generally speaking the trend, trend is that women have a significantly lower MFO than men but potentially a slightly higher fat max. Now let's discuss a little bit how different moderators might impact both MFO and or FATMAX and again I will lean here on that 2018 review by Monder because it does a really good job of summarizing the research on these different factors so look to that paper for more details. First we have training status so The paper here, the the researchers found five studies that compared fat oxidation between groups of different training status that might be well-trained or very well-trained, or it might be untrained versus active or whatever. But they have all shown that better trained athletes or more well-trained persons, so persons with higher VO2 max, have a greater MFO. However, fat max doesn't seem to differ statistically significantly based on training status in most studies. What this means is that if you increase your VO2 max from, let's say, 50 to 60, you will probably see a significant increase in how much fat you can oxidize at maximum, your MFO, but also at sub-maximal values. So the amplitude of the entire fat oxidation curve will increase. But fat max, so again, the point at which your mfo occurs might not shift to a higher percentage of vo2max if it was at 60% of vo2max before it could still be at 60% give or take after but of course in terms of absolute power or pace you will have seen an increase in fat max because you just increased your fitness uh, so so 60% of vo2max will occur at a higher power now or a higher pace If it was at 160 watts before, now it might be at 190 watts. But again, when we say that fat max didn't change, it is the percentage of VO2 max didn't change. That is how this is reported in research. And it's also important to point out that training status is the number one moderator of fat oxidation status or fat oxidation ability. If you get fitter, then your fat oxidation will increase and you will be able to oxidize more fat at higher power or pace outputs so this is a crucial realization because it means that we don't have to think too much about mfo and fat max independently but simply realize that it's tightly connected to your overall fitness and improvements in fitness will result in improvements in fat oxidation the next moderating factor is sex seven studies have compared uh, fat oxidation between male and female athletes or not athletes necessarily but males and females period the findings suggest that absolute maximum rate of fat oxidation is greater in males than in females as i said and that is with a large effect size however fat max as a percentage of vo2 max seems to be greater in females than in males although the effect size there is small but interestingly a couple of studies reported maximum fat oxidation rate relative to fat-free mass and due to the fact that females carry more fat and less muscle than men comparing absolute fat oxidation and mfo is not necessarily a fair comparison so the two studies that uh, reported fat oxidation maximum fat oxidation relative to fat free mass they actually found that females had a greater maximum fat oxidation than males in with this a factor control for and this finding aligns well with previous findings that at steady state endurance intensities females have a greater relative energy contribution from fat so in other words as a percentage of total energy consumption they use more fat than men do at a steady endurance uh, steady endurance uh, intensity However it should be said also that these studies were done in non-athlete populations in healthy but non-athletic populations. So we need to be a little bit careful with extrapolating the findings to endurance athletes. Next we have nutrition status and here we do know from only one study but uh, but a good one that what you eat right before or 45 minutes before i think a fat max test has an impact on your mfo and your fat max and uh, this study which is from achten and johan group in 2003 they had trained male athletes performing fat max tests on an ergometer after an overnight fast with either 75 grams of glucose or a placebo control ingested 45 minutes before the exercise Maximum fat oxidation was point thirty three versus point forty six, and fat max was fifty two versus sixty percent of VO two max in the placebo. Sorry, in the glucose versus the placebo controlled group. So, the placebo group, which did not get glucose, they had higher maximum fat oxidation and a higher fat max compared to the group that ingested the glucose forty five minutes before the test. So, a significant change. What should also be kept in mind here though is that maximum fat oxidation and fat max are not the only things that are impacted by acute nutrition. Your VO2 max in a fasted state is lower than it is in a fed state and that is why when you go to a lab and do a VO2 max test you are directed to have a good meal three hours before doing that VO2 max test in the lab. So in other words even though in the fasted state the study Found that VO2 max occurred at 60% of VO2 max. If you were to compare it to the VO2 max from a test that was from a VO2 max test that was also done in a fasted state, then you might actually be back to the 52% that we saw in the in the glucose-fed state, just because of the fact that VO2 max would be lower in that fasted state. So the point here is that there are big trade-offs to consider, like the reduced effective Mm VO2 max and other things like increased likelihood of reaching a really low muscle glycogen state and reduced ability to perform high intensity exercise that you must weigh against any potential benefit of training in a fasted state is it worth it to reach slightly higher fat oxidation rates anecdotally myself and other coaches uh, including here at scientific Draftlon, we are, are really really careful with fasted training because it's easy to overdo and the potential benefits often are Quite mar- marginal, to be honest. Uh, and personally, my rule of thumb is that if we do facet training with an athlete, we limit it to once per week for a duration of a few weeks only. And this aligns well with also what you heard in many interviews with guests on the podcast recently, and what what people do in practice. So, so I think that it's important to have that disclaimer there. From a chronic nutritional perspective, uh, there was a, a large study of. Uh, more than 300 subjects including both male and female subjects that used a regression analysis to uh, on four-day dietary records to see what the impact of nutrition was on MFO and uh, they found that 3.2 percent of the variation in MFO was accounted for by the carbohydrate and fat intakes that contributed negatively and positively uh, respectively to that MFO so 3.2% of variation, that is pretty negligible, really. So so that study definitely is not something that showed that chronic nutrition choices would have an impact. Uh, a famous study that uh, a lot of you have heard of is the one by Volek in 2016, where they compared, where they took ultra endurance runners and had one group on a ketogenic diet and another group on a high carbohydrate diet and tested their fat oxidation in long treadmill uh, test and the maximum fat oxidation there was indeed a lot higher in the ketogenic group than in the high carbohydrate group with 1.54 grams per minute versus 0.67 grams per minute and fat max occurring at 70% of VO2 max versus 55% of VO2 max. So here we can see that at the extreme end of the spectrum with a ketogenic diet, uh, you can see some, some big differences in both MFO and fat max. However, they also found that the muscle glycogen utilization during that long treadmill run was actually not significantly different between the groups. So what this indicates is that while the ketogenic group did not in fact spare any glycogen in their working skeletal muscle they might have spared glycogen in the liver and elsewhere perhaps but in the working muscles there was no sparing effect of of glycogen and since muscle glycogen is the factor that is contributing to fatigue and reduced performance rather than overall uh, whole body glycogen content that really seems to be a big big problem with that even though you are using all this fat uh, if you're not sparing the glycogen in the muscles then then that's a potential issue and that is uh, that is something that uh, we probably need more research to before we to really explain what why and what happened there the next moderator is uh, modality exercise modality and uh, here we're going to talk about running and cycling and just briefly in general studies have found that there is a greater mfo during running compared to cycling and uh, fat max however seems quite inconclusive with some of the studies finding that fat max is also greater during running but others finding no difference between cycling and running then we have temperature and there is some data to suggest that fat oxidation is reduced in high ambient, ambient temperatures and carb oxidation is increased also, in unusually cold temperature, there have been studies, but there is conflicting evidence there with some studies reporting lowered carboxylation and others increased carboxidation compared to temperate conditions. So temperature is a moderator that we still need more research to really make sense out of. All right, so this was a pretty long background, but I hope that you found it useful. And uh, now we're going to tackle the question of which is essentially the the gist of your question what what is the best way to to train fatmax or train mfo and train mfo is it by training at fatmax or what what's what, what's the story here so i'm still going to keep uh keep referencing some research here in terms of training intervention studies most training intervention studies that have investigated how uh, mfo and fatmax change in response to training have been done in active or sedentary populations and not in endurance athletes so again we need to be careful with extrapolating all of this to already trained athletes but all that said what these studies have found is that mfo typically increases in response to training while fat max stays the same so as i said you your fat max remains at the same percentage of vo2 max but that might mean that your Fatmax power goes up or fat max speed goes up if your vo2 max also goes up there are some studies that have found increase in FatMAX as well but those are far fewer than the ones that have not the type of training that has been done in these studies includes both steady aerobic training and different kinds of interval training and both of these overarching types of training have been shown to increase mfo Two studies, uh, which are uh, al in 2013 and Lancy in 2015, actually compared steady aerobic training with high intensity interval training, but did not find any differences in how much MFO increased between those two types of training. Both of those studies, however, were in overweight or obese populations, not in trained athletes. I will link to them in the show notes, and uh, there are probably some other studies here that I have referenced and have forgotten to mention but i will link to a lot of studies in the episode sorry not show notes in the episode description in your podcast app so from the literature even for non-athletic populations where we have the research we cannot say if there is a best way to train fat oxidation but we can do so even less with athletes because there is just not any research done in athletes or very limited research done in athletes another factor here that we should talk about is what about training in a state of low glycogen well there are a few good studies now coming out that have found that including low glycogen training in your program so low glycogen training just to recap for listeners that might not have heard of it before is for example doing a high intensity workout uh, in the morning and then you don't eat carbohydrate really you eat but you eat mostly fat and protein and then you do another workout in the afternoon during which you have depleted your well you have already depleted your glycogen stores in that first workout but without replenishing them in between workouts so so that is the second workout Then is done in a state of low glycogen and the theory is that this might be good for a number of reasons including potentially increasing fat oxidation and We have some studies here uh, that show indeed that low glycogen training can significantly improve fat oxidation in athletes. Uh, Again, I'll link to a couple of them, Yeo, 2008 and Halston 2010. But we need to look at this type of training as part of the overall training picture. And remember that it also has many drawbacks that we have talked about several times. So it is something to be used strategically and quite sparingly, in my opinion. Also what these studies have failed to show is whether that fat oxidation actually translates to performance. So they have they have actually in the, both of these studies mentioned included time trial performance measurements but despite the increased fat oxidation rate that have been found in the in the intervention group they have not found a difference that to have a positive effect on time trial performance compared to the control group. And uh, this might be related to what was found in the Volex study I talked about earlier, that even though fat oxidation is upregulated, it doesn't necessarily spare muscle glycogen, and in particular, the intramyofibrillar muscle glycogen, which there is some indications might be the most responsible for reduced performance compared to other sites of muscle glycogen storage when that storage site is... Uh, running low and other than that as i already said we know that improved fitness and endurance capacity correlates with improved fat oxidation so what we really need to concern ourselves with when it comes to training for improved fat oxidation is improving overall fitness and endurance capacity and in doing so we need to take a holistic view at the training program and not focus so much on the individual sessions and when we do that we come back to a few familiar principles First, frequent consistent training are massively important, the most important. And of course, overall training volume also has a very big effect on, on your overall fitness outcomes and your fat oxidation outcomes by uh, as it follows from that. Then the next principle is that you should have some hard sessions in there, uh, but you should also have a lot of not-so-hard sessions in there. That doesn't necessarily mean just soft pedaling, but staying within zone two is a good uh, good guideline for those not-so-hard sessions. I would not say that there is any particular training intensity distribution that you have to follow. That will depend on the overall volume, the training, the sport, the modality, and the athlete's individual traits. But I would say that taking an 80-20 distribution as a starting point is definitely not a bad idea. If you're more on the low volume side of things, let's say you're training six hours or less per week, then certainly it is entirely feasible that 80% low intensity becomes more like 70% low intensity, even 65 potentially. But uh, whatever it is, uh, you should have a number of low intensity sessions in there and a certain amount of time spent at low intensities but without forgetting that the high intensity is important as well. And the moderate intensity. There are no, no gray zones, in my opinion. It all depends on what your goals are and the specific the specific demands of the race, your strengths and weaknesses, and so on. And bringing the question back to your, uh, your referral to Inigo San Milan's training philosophy. So that philosophy certainly ticks all of those boxes. And sometimes the hard training the hard workouts that his athletes do may not be hard in terms of intensity because maybe it is the workout when they go out and do a six hour ride with 4.5 hours of that ride at 75 to 80 percent of ftp that is what is the hard ride of the week and that is a great session with a high stimulus of endurance adaptation but is it the magic intensity for improving fat oxidation i don't think so i just think it's one of a number of good sessions one in, as a part of a whole holistic program that makes, makes it work. So the way he structures his program means that it fulfills all the requirement of an effective plan. It has enough hard work in there, but it gives enough time and scope for recovery and adaptation. Uh, so striking that balance between training load and ability to recover from training, that is a key key point here. Also, just to reiterate, if it turns out the training at close to your maximum rate of fat oxidation uh, is actually important for improving your fat ox- oxidation, then we do have a pretty broad range of intensities where fat oxidation is very close to max. So we don't need to be over precise. So the advice that I want to give here is that if you really want to find the inten- that intensity for yourself, then either A test yourself with a proper testing protocol as I described before or b use a standard zone system and do a lot of training in the middle of zone 2. I know you may have listened to the uh, San Milan interview and thought man I'm going to start racking up rides at the high end of zone 2 or low zone 3 at 75 to 80 percent of FTP but actually unless you are a world-class athlete The evidence I have seen, both anecdotally and in analyzing a lot of inside tests and in terms of looking at scientific papers and studies, it suggests to me that it is likely that your fat max is lower than the high end of zone 2. It's more like mid zone 2 or even low zone 2. That that would be a better target. So I'm not saying that those high zone 2 rides are bad by any means. In fact, I think they are great, but it's not because it is exactly where fat max is rather i think it is because i do find that they are still rides that athletes can recover from pretty well and uh, they do get a strong stimulus when you ride at that intensity for a long enough time so so in an overall well-structured training plan we can try to push the envelope of those endurance rides a bit with going at a higher intensity higher zone two intensity every now and then and get slightly more out of it compared to going at a low zone two intensity but that all comes down to how the training program is structured. When you're approaching racing, for example, you would probably do way fewer of those because a lot of the workouts would be very intense and then the rest of the work needs to be very easy. Uh, but also for Ironman athletes, actually, if we're talking about Ironman training, then those highs and two rides fulfill the uh, the additional or tick the additional box of being highly race-specific. So so that's another great great aspect of them. Now, I do want to address your question, Evan, of how much you should do as a percentage of your weekly training and how to design these quote-unquote fat max sessions to fit in a training week. So I would say that for athletes training more than seven hours per week, in terms of running and cycling, certainly I would recommend doing 75 to 90% of training in terms of time uh, in zone one or zone two well in a combination of zone one or zone two most of that probably in zone two uh, unless you're a really really high volume athlete then the the higher volume you do the more you do in zone one Uh, and, and and all of that volume is going to be like not not a great amount of distance away from your maximum rate of fat oxidation it will all be shades of gray so to say but all of that will will have you use fat uh, an oxidized fat in your training, so so that sort of base of low intensity training is important. And of that training time, uh, I would distribute things all across the range. Really, again, it depends on your overall volume. But if you're kind of on an intermediate vo- level of volume, then you might have a pure recovery day with just super easy zone one training. Then there is probably a, a bulk of your kind of steady comfortable endurance training that is around your mid zone two whether we're talking running or cycling and then you might have one to two workouts where we push the high end of zone two and this means that the intensity here even within that low intensity zone is split across many different baskets so not not all the eggs are in one basket so to say and again there are no magic intensities but if we make the program work as a whole then generally you'll see fitness improvements and as a result your Uh, mfo will increase and as you get fitter your absolute fat max in terms of power or pace number will also increase how to fit them in a week i'll give an example from an athlete i coach Uh, this is a cyclist and uh, so it's pretty easy to overview because there's only cycling monday only easy training and gym so this is zone one we're talking about tuesday hard workout kind of a tt workout threshold workout and an easy ride uh, Wednesday would be a high zone two workout, a long high zone two. So, this is kind of your 75%, 70% or so, and an easy ride as well. So, zone one, uh, a double ride a day again. Thursday uh, would be an endurance ride with a little bit of tempo in it. So, mostly mid zone two, but with some clear zone three in there. Uh, Friday would again be an easy ride uh, and gym. And Saturday, another quality ride with some over-unders and some mid-Zone 2 work in there as well. And Sunday, a long mid-Zone 2, mid or even low-Zone 2 ride. So, so that is how, it's, how how I have structured this week for this athlete. So as you can see, there is both those easy days with Zone 1 on Monday and Friday. There is a lot of kind of mid-Zone 2 on the Sunday and low to mid 2 on sunday and saturday and the first day ride with the exception of the tempo uh, there's a lot of other easy riding as well on the double days which is the tuesday and the wednesday and finally there is that high ZEN2 ride on on the wednesday so that is how i have yeah gone about this particular program just to give you an example I hope that this helps, Evan. Uh, Keep in mind, the overall structure of the program is the most important. Uh, Don't get too in the weeds with the specifics of the workouts or the exact intensity. And this uh, wraps up today's Q&A. I will have links to a lot of different studies in the episode description, but do check out the interview with Inigo San Milan if you haven't already, which is episode 262 on the podcast. And the review paper on fat oxidation is great by Maunder from 2018. It's called Contextualizing Maximal Fat Oxidation During Exercise, Determinants and Normative Values. Check that out if you want to. And keep sending in questions for future Q&As to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a K. If you're looking for coaching or training plans, go and check out what we have to offer on scientifictriathlon.com. We would love to help you reach your triathlon or endurance goals. Thank you finally to our sponsors Zen8 that you can find on zen8swimtrainer.com. Use their swim trainer to improve technique, power and stamina, even when you don't have time to go to the pool or pools are closed. You can get 20% off your swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on senateswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roca.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, high-performance eyewear, and prescription glasses and sunglasses, and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart, and keep loving triathlon.